Hey, let's pray as we're getting started this morning. Uh, Heavenly Father, we do thank you for your presence in this place today. We thank you for your love. Uh, We thank you for your grace, God. I thank you for uh, those that call Genesis their church that are with us today, those that have come and are brand new, and uh, we are just trusting, Lord, uh, your work in our heart, even preparing us uh, for what you want to give us now and provide for us through your word. Father, we do take a moment to pray for um, the people of this nation and those that were affected in Florida this past week, Lord, by such a horrific act. And we pray that the love of Jesus would just shine so brightly in southern Florida right now and through the churches and the followers of Jesus you've put there and that you would bring healing and hope uh, to our world as we put our faith in you. We pray for our Haiti team this morning uh, that are worshiping even right now in Shambrun, Haiti. And thank you for their safe arrival there. I pray you would fill their heart with joy today as they have the opportunity to worship with uh, the church family that we support there, God, and that you would prepare them and bless them this week as they serve you in so many different ways. And we thank you for their family and friends, which they've left behind, and pray that you continue to provide for all of their needs. And so now, Father, we turn our attention to your word, and even in this series, God, as you're helping us to understand a little bit more this unseen realm around us, uh, give us faith to believe today. And I pray that maybe for each of us, there might be one thing that we walk away with today, Lord, that you can use and you can use to nurture us in a powerful way. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Well, I want to welcome you as well uh, this morning. My name is Paul, and I'm the lead pastor here at Genesis. Again, week two uh, in this series called Unseen War. I don't know if you remember these or not. If you're like me uh, and you were born way back in the 1900s, uh, you might remember these magic eye posters. Uh, remember these? Uh, it wasn't uncommon to walk through the shopping mall, uh, maybe past a, a store or a booth, and they'd have these pictures displayed all over the place, and usually a crowd, a crowd of people that would gather, would get close to them, would back away from them. You're trying to do everything you can to see uh, what's behind or what's within these colors, these dots of sorts. And so evidently there's a shark in there somewhere. All right. Now I'll just be honest with you. I've never seen them. All right. I have never been able to see uh, the catch, the surprise, the picture within the picture of these particular magic eye posters. And so to me, it's nothing but a bunch of colors or nonsense. Uh, potentially. But here's what they say. They say that the trick to seeing these magic eye posters is to look through the image, uh, to look through it, all right, and then to gradually bring your focus back, uh, trying to, to kind of see the whole image. And if you're able to do just that, and if you're able to focus your eyes just right, well, there's always a surprise within it. Let's try another one just for fun, all right? Here's another magic eye poster. Again, I can't see it. It looks like a number of, uh, of different colors to me. But here's what's interesting. I, I, I kind of learned a little trick this week. And uh, if you want to try this out, even on your own computer, uh, the trick, the cheat really, uh, is to pull the picture up th- like this on, on your computer screen. But then if you, if you just start zooming in, if you start stretching the picture and zoom in, it, it, again, it's actually a cheat. It, it really works fascinating. Look, look what's behind this picture, in fact, when you zoom in all the way. Check this out. Right there. There it is. It's just, you know, again, you don't see it at first, but if you do the work, if you stretch the image out, uh, two weeks in a row, right? If you're here last week, we learned that's not what angels look like, but 
again. That's the last time I promise we won't do that to you again. So, but hey, this week we're continuing in this series called Unseen War. Again, it's all about exploring the realm of the unseen, the, the supernatural uh, that really is taking place all around us. You know, we may not always see it. It's, it's easy to assume that uh, what we see, what we can touch, and what we hear is all there really is. But, but, but the thing is, when we learn to see, okay, and, and Scripture helps us in doing this, and I think uh, life experience perspective, perspective helps us to realize that if we can train our eyes, okay, there's more going on in this world than we realize. And if we're really going to follow Jesus in this world, if we're going to put our hope in him, if we're going to stand strong, stand firm as we talked about last week, uh, we need to ask the Lord to open our eyes to see, all right, to see that there is a war going on in this world. There is a supernatural realm, this unseen war of sorts that's taking place, and we often get caught up in the middle of it. And last week, we spent a little bit of time talking about angels and where they came from and what they do. Today, for just a few minutes, I want to talk to you about the devil, right? Wee, yeah, let's talk about the devil uh, for just a moment, who he is, uh, where he comes from, and uh, how he works. And again, this is just kind of a brief overview. You're going to have to do some of your own work. Uh, we listed some resources last week. I don't think they made it on your message notes this week. The Invisible War by Chip Ingram is a great resource for learning more, going a lot deeper. But here's what I want you to do. I want you to take your Bible and turn to Ezekiel chapter 28. Uh, it's about halfway, maybe a little bit more, through the Old Testament, Ezekiel chapter 28. If you want to use one of the Bibles around the room, turn to page uh, 595, uh, and we're going we're gonna to just take a look at, at kind of a, a well-known passage of Scripture that gives us a little bit of a story uh, behind Satan and his, uh, where, where he comes from. Now, the, er, there's evidence for Satan all throughout the Bible. Okay, from the very beginning all the way to the very end. He's near the beginning. We know in Genesis chapter 3, verse 1, where he appears as a serpent in the Garden of Eden, tempting Eve. Uh, you can find him in the middle in places like 1 Chronicles 21, verse 1, where he's tempting King David. Uh, Jesus had a face-to-face -face encounter with him in the wilderness. Uh, we referenced this last week in Matthew chapter 4. And again, he's there at the very end in Revelation 20, where God hurls him into the lake of burning sulfur once and for all. But how did it all begin for him? All right, we know him as the devil. He's sometimes referred to as Satan. His original name was Lucifer, all right, or is Lucifer, which means shining one or uh, shining or morning star or son of the morning. And as strange as it may sound, and I'm not going to pretend to understand this, all right, we're going to trust that God will work all this out for us one day, but God created him, all right, and he came from heaven like the other angels that we talked about last week. In fact, before his fall, get this, Lucifer was the chief of the cherubim. All right, the chief of the cherubim, he was the leader of the highest order of angels that God created. But something went terribly wrong. And at some point before Adam and Eve sinned in the Garden of Eden, Lucifer rebelled. And again, many believe that Ezekiel 28 sheds some light to his origination, his story, his role, and his fall. And here's what Ezekiel, this passage in Ezekiel, has to say about Lucifer and, again, where he came from. And I'll just tell you, this won't answer every question for you. You might have to do some of that work on your own. And if you'd like to do a little bit more of that, let me know, and I'll point you to some resources. Let's pick it up in Ezekiel chapter 28, the second half of verse 12. And here's what we read. You were the seal of perfection. Full of wisdom and perfect in beauty, you were in Eden, the garden of God. 
Every precious stone adorned you. And then look at this description. Carnelian, chrysolite, and emerald, topaz, onyx, and jasper, uh, lapis lazuli, turquoise, and beryl. Your settings and mountings were made of gold. On the day you were created, they were prepared. So again, this is a description of Lucifer before his fall. And basically what we take from this, what scholars say is that there was no other creature so fully prepared to reflect the glory of God than Lucifer himself. Again, note the description of it. There's so much meaning and symbolism behind these. Verse 14, we read again his role. You were anointed as a guardian cherub, all right, a type of angel, for so I ordained you. You were on the holy mount of God. You walked among the fiery stones, and then get this, you were blameless in your ways from the day you were created. So we see his assignment, anointed as the head of the cherubs. Uh, He was as perfect, you could say, as any created being could possibly be, all right? Not God, all right? He's not divine. He's on the same level of all angels, all right? Again, in a position of leadership, but then his fall. Notice what it says. You were blameless in your ways, verse 15, from the day you were created till wickedness was found in you. Through your widespread trade, you were filled with violence and you sinned. And look what God did to him. All right, look what God did to him. It says, so I drove you in disgrace from the mount of God and I expelled you, guardian cherub, from among the fiery stones. Verse 17, your heart became proud. And that really is the root of all sin, of my sin and your sin. The root of our sin really is pride. It's attaining, it's this desire to be like God. You know, is it any wonder that when the serpent came to eat, part of that temptation was eat of this fruit and you will be like God. That's what Lucifer was after. And so the writer says, your heart became proud on account of your beauty and you, cor- and you corrupted your wisdom because of your splendor. And so what God did, I threw you to the earth. I made a spectacle of you before kings. And we don't know when, but according to Revelation chapter 12, Lucifer And one-third of the angelic beings that were loyal to Lucifer, we now know them as demons, were cast from heaven. And as we talked about last week as we opened this series, Satan and these demons continue to make war on this planet and in your life and in my life and for each of us here in this world. And I'll just say this, that if you don't believe in Satan or if you don't believe in demons, that's fine. Like, you're entitled to your opinion. But I've had to come to terms with this. And many of you have had to come to terms with this truth over the years that what I believe about this really doesn't matter as much. Like what we want to formulate with our own minds, like, you know, because what Jesus says about these things is so much more important, all right? What God's word has for us, like that's really what we need to strive for. That's what we need to to move towards, like our, our desire has to be, what do I learn from the word of God? Like, well, how does, how, what, what does the word of God have to say about these things for my life and for the life that we live in? And, and, and let's just look for a moment at what Jesus has to say about our enemy. There's over 25 different examples of Jesus making reference to the evil one and the demons in the gospels. And let's look at a couple of them. In Matthew 13, Jesus was telling his disciples the parable of the sower about how the word of God is like a seed that we're to scatter to the people in our lives. And here's what 
what Jesus said in verse uh, Matthew 13, 19. He says, when anyone hears the message about the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatch, snatches away what was sown in their heart, all right? This is the seed sown along the path. And so here Jesus just reminds us that, that Satan is active, all right, in trying to keep people from holding on to the truth or to the good news or to responding this truth, that it, it, it's Satan that is intentionally working to keep people from finding their way back to God in this world. And then there was another time that Jesus uh, told them in Matthew chapter five, verse 37, he says, all you need to say is simply yes or no, anything beyond this comes from the evil one. And so uh, Jesus says that the evil one can influence people, all right, that he can influence our thought processes, he can influence our decisions and our words, you know, that we choose or the words that we say. And then in John chapter 17, verse 15, before Jesus went to the cross and as he was praying to his father, like note his prayer to the father, he says, my prayer is that you not take them out of the world because he's got a plan, he's got a purpose for us here in this world, but that you protect them from the evil one. And so Jesus says that we need protection from the evil one. His disciples need protection from the evil one. And he himself prayed for our protection. Parents, I just know this is a great verse to pray for your children. All right, that he would protect your children from the evil one. See, Jesus believed that there's an evil presence that is actively working against God and against God's purposes. And so you could, you, you, you could determine this, that if Jesus says, if Jesus is who he says he is, all right, and what he says is true, then we can only conclude that we've got a very real enemy in Satan who wants to engage us in daily spiritual battles. But it's also important to note this. It's also important to note that not everything that we face, not every trouble that we face in this life is a spiritual battle. Like we shouldn't, and, and we shouldn't attribute everything, every bad thing that we face or experience to Satan because sometimes you just hit your toe on the corner of your bed, right? It just happens, right? Or sometimes your kid strikes out, all right? These types of things happen. And some of the pain then and the frustration that we face is simply the result of living in a broken world. And at other times, the battles we face are, are basically are just simply the consequences of poor choices or of mistakes or laziness uh, that is evident in our life. But, but here's what I think, and, and I think this is important to say. I believe many of the things that we don't often recognize as spiritual attacks are, in fact, spiritual attacks. Because there is an unseen war taking place all around us in your life and in my, my life. I, I think you could point to a number of different examples, things like uh, needless and unceasing worry. Worry. Anybody struggle with worrying today? I, I, it's an ongoing attack uh, from the evil one. Anxiety, all right, is, is often an ongoing attack from the evil one. I think the anger and mistrust that so often comes up in a marriage between a, a husband and a wife, again, uh, the result of, a, of an ongoing spiritual battle. I think you could say institutionalized discrimination, prejudice, bias, and racism is undoubtedly a part of the evil one's spiritual attack because if the evil one can drive or create division between any two people or between any two groups, again, I, I think this is just evidence for these spiritual attacks. A horrific school shooting. You know, the primary offender there, no doubt, evil. I mean, the very presence of evil coming from the evil world. But, but get this, not only in the act itself, as horrible as it is, but then all of the division and fighting then that follows afterwards. That, that, that two people or groups of people couldn't sit down and possibly think through decisions and choices. 
that could help in the matter. And then the fear that consumes so many parents as they send their kids out the door. Again, evidence of the evil one and his attacks. And so I think you can see how this is a real balancing act. It takes real discernment to determine uh, which battles are spiritual and which battles are just simply the results of our poor choices or just the realities of the broken world that we live in. And so how can you tell? Well, part of it is training our eyes to see differently. It's asking the Lord to open our eyes to see things differently, to to renew our minds, as Paul talks about in Romans 12, you know, so that we're not just conforming to this world because the evil one's goal is to make a real mess of life. And man, there are so many times where he succeeds at just that. Look at Peter's words in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8. He says, be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. There's only one reason why a lion prowls. All right, when he prowls, he is or she is looking for someone to devour. And who do lions attack? Well, they don't typically go after the strongest. All right, they go looking for the weak one. And so let me ask you this morning where are you weak? You know, as you think about your life, as you think about your vulnerability to these attacks, I think it's important to ask ourselves where am I weak? All right, where am I the most vulnerable? to the evil one and his spiritual attacks. I mean, maybe for some of you here this morning, you'd say it's in the area of sexual temptation. I think it's one of the ways that he attacks men and women today. Uh, Maybe it's anger, right? And it's just this uncontrollable urge to respond with anger and frustration all the time. Maybe it's gossip. Uh, Maybe that's an area of your life where you're weak and, and vulnerable. Maybe it's this insatiable desire for personal happiness, I think this is Satan, one of Satan's most clever tools in this world today, in our culture today, is to convince people that your personal happiness is the most important thing on the planet. And so you can do whatever you want. You can say whatever it is that you want to say. You can determine for yourself what you think is best as long as it makes you happy. And don't dare anyone else say anything otherwise. It's happiness at all costs. Whatever I need, no matter the cost. He's clever. Satan is so clever. And he's the enemy in this unseen war. And his goal is to destroy God's people and discredit the cause of Christ. And that's why, and what we're going to see here in just a moment in the Apostle Paul's words, we have to daily prepare ourselves. Right? There is a daily routine. There is a daily sequence of preparation, of getting your heart and getting your mind around the right things, getting, thinking about the right things so that we can prepare ourselves for day-to-day, face-to-face combat. Because the worst thing that we can do is nothing. The worst thing that you can do is just play it off and say, well, I don't want to think about it. It's not even worth considering. It makes my mind hurt, all right? It frightens me. Or to think that it's just simply going to go away. Your enemy is powerful, not all-powerful. There's one all-powerful person in this world, and that's the God of heaven, all right? But Satan is powerful, and he's persistent, and he's been fighting for thousands of years, if not more. And he's probably not going to turn away because you or I give up. And that's why we're not going to surrender to him, but we need to surrender to what the Lord has for us. 
and how he has directed us and what he has called of us or asked of us in this day-to-day preparation. And fortunately for us, the Apostle Paul was no stranger to spiritual warfare. Ephesians chapter 6, these verses we're going to look at have everything to do with spiritual warfare. You can turn to Ephesians 6 or page 817 if you're using one of the Bibles in this room. And uh, Paul, again, he was no stranger to this. We see this come up over and over in his story and in his life, these attacks, and he captures the essence all right, of how we're to fight this day-to-day battle in his letter to Ephesians, specifically Ephesians 6. And what we're going to see in this passage is that Paul knows that we will fight spiritual battles, but he also knows that we have everything we need, not just to survive, but to win and to thrive and to trust the Lord and to live for the Lord victoriously in this world. Let's pick it up in Ephesians 6, verse 10. We started here last week. Paul writes this, finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God, all right, so that you can take your stand. Notice how many times Paul is going to use the word stand here, to stand against the devil's schemes. He says, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood. And this is so important to remember, as we talked about last week, that your battle is not against your wife or your husband or your kids or your parents. It might seem like it at times, but you and I, we have a very real enemy. And so Paul says, but it's against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, all right? This is Satan and his demons and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realm. So Paul says this, therefore put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground and after you have done everything to stand. And then what Paul's going to do from here is he's going to go on and describe for us this full armor of God piece by piece. We could spend a whole series eight weeks working through this armor and all of the symbolism in it, I just want to try and get you thinking around this idea of a day-to-day preparation, a focus on God's truth and allowing God's truth to kind of penetrate your life and your mind and your thinking and your actions. And so again, this is about prepping ourselves for battle day-to-day. Notice the sequence. Paul begins verse 14. He says, stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist. Now, what does a belt have to do with armor? And again, for the people of Paul's day, they're imagining a Roman soldier with all of its armor in place. Well, in the first century, clothing was very loose and flowy, I guess you could say. They wore a tunic, and so the Roman soldier uh, would use the belt to keep their tunic uh, in place. It was to secure their tunic from flapping around in the wind. But here's also what's interesting is that the belt would be the place where the sword was attached, all right? And we'll talk about the sword in just a moment. Now, it's not just a belt, all right? This is the belt of truth. Notice Paul's words here, because what's the opposite of truth? The opposite of truth are lies, all right? And over and over again in Scripture, we read that Satan is the father of lies. He loves to barrage us with lies and untruths. And so Paul is saying that our first line of defense in the spiritual battle is to be equipped with the truth of God and what we believe as followers of Christ and what we believe as a church is that our truth comes from the word of God. All right? Our truth for our life is the word of God. He continues verse 14 with the breastplate of righteousness in place. Now the breastplate was this thick piece of leather, all right, with metal overlaid, all right, that uh, was secured to the chest, to the to the breast uh, to protect the vital organs. All right, and in particular, it protects the heart. Now, 
If you think about the symbolism of this, what Paul is saying is that sometimes we might be tempted to believe that or doubt that God loves us. And so the breastplate of righteousness is always our reminder that we've got a Savior in Jesus Christ, that God sent his very own son who died for us on the cross, all right? And then we were made right with him, that we can be made right with God because of Jesus Christ, because of Christ's righteousness, and that that righteousness is transferred to us when we put our trust and our faith in Jesus, that when God sees you now, like if you've put your faith and trust in God today, he literally sees Christ with you. It's Christ in you and in your life. And so that's this breastplate of righteousness that he refers to here. And so sometimes we're tempted to doubt that, all right? But again, we are, if you're in Jesus Christ, you are a son of God, all right? If you are in Jesus Christ, you are a daughter of God. That's our identity. Uh, That's your identity when you're in him. And the breastplate uh, protects us from these accusations that we are anything less than someone who is fully and wholly loved by God. Verse 15, he continues. He says, hey, don't forget your shoes, your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. A a soldier going into battle wouldn't dare grab just a cheap pair of dollar flip-flops. All right, if you were going to stand firm, if you were going to fight, if you were going to travel uphill or downhill, if you're going to move forward and attack, you've got to have the right footwear. Again, especially if you're traveling long distances. And so they would lace up these sandals of sorts or these boots, really. Uh, Their shoes would also have these spikes on the bottom of them. If you've been watching the Winter Olympics and those competing in the skeleton race, all right, if you imagine, if you watch their takeoff, they're digging into the ice. They've got traction because of the spikes in their shoes. And so For the Roman soldier, their shoes would have these spikes in them that could dig into the ground so that they can stand firm. Because the one thing that you don't want to do when you're in battle is you don't want to fall down. We don't want want to fall down as followers of Jesus. You fall down, you're, you're, you're in trouble. And so as Paul is emphasizing over and over again, we want to stand firm. We want to stand firm in the peace that comes from God. Not anxiety, not worry, all right, but the peace that comes from heaven for those that are in Christ. Verse 16, he says, in addition to all of this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Now, every other piece of armor that Paul is describing here is something that you put on, but here we're challenged to take up the shield. And when he uh, is thinking about this shield here, it's not some small circular Captain America uh, sort of shield that he's getting at, but instead they would use these very large wooden shields that were approximately two and a half feet wide by four feet tall, and they would literally soak them in water before battle so that these shields were prepared to extinguish the flaming arrows of the enemy. And in the same way, what Paul's getting after here is that we can, with the shield of our faith, extinguish any attack that Satan might want to apply to us. And I think it's also interesting to note that Roman soldiers would march in a formation together in line with their shields all in place attached together and that they were even stronger together. Man, what a beautiful picture for a church and for our church family to stand strong together to ward off the attacks of Satan. Verse 17, he says, take the helmet of salvation. You wouldn't dare go to war without protecting your head. And so the salvation, the helmet of salvation reminds us, man, let it remind you today that we were once in need of rescue for every single one of us and that God's the one who did the rescuing, that he came, that he made the move in sending his son. And your enemy, he would love for you to believe. He would love for you to believe anything otherwise. 
So Paul reminds us, don't forget to put on the helmet of your salvation and who you are in Christ and what Christ has done for you and what he thinks of you. And finally, there's the sword of the Spirit. And, you know, the typical Roman soldier would carry multiple weapons, but Paul points out that as Christ followers, we need one weapon. And the emphasis here that's really found in each piece of of armor is that that weapon for us, the emphasis really is on the Word of God. The Word of God as our source of truth and light and hope. That's why David said, "Your, your word, O Lord, is a lamp to my feet and a light unto my path. And And what we do, each time we take the Bible, each time you take the Bible and you open it and you read it and you pray through it and you meditate on these things, what you're doing is you're declaring war on an enemy that wants nothing more than to divide you, to divide us and even take you down in this world. Now notice here that the sword is the only offensive piece of armor out of all of the armor But the sword then is about fighting ground, or about fighting. It's about uh, taking lost ground back. And and even, man, our best example of Jesus Christ and and Matthew chapter 4 when he's tempted by Satan in the wilderness over that period of 40 days, the only response he made to Satan on each account, you can read this for yourself, was the word of God. He was fighting back with the truth of God's word for every lie and accusation that Satan was attempting to make against him. In the same way, the word of God is our primary offensive weapon in this battle. Something else to notice here is that the entire armor of God is forward-facing. I think this is so cool. The, The breastplate, the shield, the sword, it's all meant to be used out front. There's nothing behind, all right? Because why? Because we're never instructed to flee. We're never instructed to retreat. Now, sure, we're, we're called to flee from sexual sin. We're, we are to flee temptation, absolutely. But when it comes to facing the enemy, when it comes to facing these spiritual battles that we will be called into, the emphasis over and over again is we are called to resist, to fight, and to stand firm on the promises of God's word. And so as we close today, I want to quickly show you three ways we can stand firm Again, that was the same emphasis really last week, the same for today. How do we stand firm in these spiritual battles in this life that we live in today? The first thing is this, it's to stand firm in the truth. Our truth must be found in the word of God. Your truth should be and must be found in the word of God because the truth is that God has already, well, he's already won the victory. He already has the victory. God defeated Satan at the cross, all right? The battles continue. The battles rage on, all right? until Jesus Christ returns for us. But for now, the fighting continues. And we as Christians, we already know how the story ends. And in the end, the result of this battle isn't even close. In Revelation chapter 20, verse 10, it says, the devil who has been all about deception and his legions will be thrown into the lake of burning sulfur where they will be tormented day and night forever and ever and they will never be a trouble to you or to me ever again. The fighting will end once and for all. And the good news then for us is this time and this place and this season that we find ourselves in is that evil doesn't have to have power over you. It doesn't have to have power over you. We don't have to give in. If daily we will ground ourselves in the truth of the word of God in everything that we do and we will cling to his truth and we allow his truth to be our guide and to be our direction and to be our wisdom and to draw us closer to God. This is a spiritual battle 
All right, and if we're gonna be prepared for this spiritual battle, we need to be rooted and living out of the truth of who God is and what he says about you and me and how we are to live in this world. The second thing is this, is we need to stand firm in prayer. All right, we need to stand firm in prayer. Look at how Paul concludes this passage about the armor, about spiritual warfare. Verse 18, he says, and pray in the spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind then, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. And so Paul reminds us that the way to remain alert, the way to remain prepared for battle is to pray. And not just one kind of prayer, but to pray all kinds of prayer. Because prayer is not, it's not just a crutch, all right? It's not a, a sign of weakness, but it really is a position of strength for us, all right? For you and me as followers of Christ, prayer is a position of strength and victory. It's what we see in Jesus. It's why he was retreating all of the time to be alone with his father in prayer. He knew that his victory would come through that prayer and ultimately through his relationship with the father. And for you and me, and even as you pray, all right, and even as you take these steps to pray and try praying, just know that there's nothing too great for God. There's nothing too great for him. There's nothing too small in your life that prayer is not the answer. And cultivating a relationship with God where we pray regularly is one of the best ways to stand firm in the battles we will find ourselves in. Because when we pray, we not only resist evil, but we become more alert to evil and to the presence of evil around us and the potential attacks. Prayer, again, is a way of opening our eyes to this unseen battle around us. And finally, we stand firm together. We stand firm together. We stand firm in the truth. We stand firm in prayer. And we stand firm together. Something interesting about a soldier's armor in the first century is this, that no one, no one soldier was able to put on all of that armor by themselves. They needed the assistance of someone else because this armor that Paul references was so heavy and so bulky and so it required other people, fellow soldiers, in order to put it on. And I just love this detail as it reminds us that we need one another. It's uh, a great reminder for our students here today, all right, that you need each other, that you can't fight these battles alone, all right? You can't do this all alone in your life. And for the rest of us, that you weren't meant to do this alone, all right? And it's part of the beauty of this church. It's part of the beauty of being a part of this family, of finding your way into a connection group as they were stronger together. And as we stand together and as we fight together and we hold on to God's truth together and we learn to pray together, we're gonna be more prepared for Satan and his attacks and we're gonna be better prepared to stand faithfully for the Lord in this world, whatever he calls to, whatever comes your way and maybe whatever it is that you're facing in your life right now. And as we stand together, we're reminded of this and the truth of God's word for us is this, that the Lord will fight on your behalf. The Lord will fight for us. He is faithful. And he is more than capable of fighting for you no matter what it is that you're facing or encountering in your life right now. There's a uh, picture in my office that my wife gave me for my birthday last September. And it's a picture uh, that's shown here that I will have for the rest of my life. And uh, this picture is special to me for a couple of reasons. First of all, the verse that it's attached to it, and then the location of the picture. The uh, verse comes out of 2 Chronicles 20, 17. 
where the Lord speaks to King Jehoshaphat, uh, king of Israel, to encourage him about an enemy that's on its way. Similar to the story that we looked at last week, the story of Elisha, but an enemy that's on the attack, on the offensive. And the Lord says, Jehoshaphat, you stand firm and be strong. Look at these words. God says, you will not have to fight this battle. Take up your positions. Stand firm and see the deliverance the Lord will give you, Judah and Jerusalem. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. Go out to face them tomorrow, and the Lord will be with you. And there were some friends that gave me this verse this past year, and they were praying this for me. And this verse really became a prayer for both Jenny and I, and just trusting the Lord in all things. And I had a moment when we were in Israel last May where we were out in the Judean wilderness here and our guide gave us a half an hour and he said, hey, go find one of these hills. Just make sure you don't wander so far off that I can't see you. And I want to just give you a half hour on your own to reflect. And so I climbed up to the top of this small hill and grabbed a seat here for about 30 minutes. And I just kept thinking about this verse over and over. And just the Lord's faithfulness in my life and the promise that he will fight for us if we stand firm in him. And so I sat there for a while and I kept fearing that a scorpion or something would come climbing up behind me. And thankfully it never did. But the moment was so special and powerful for me that I thought, you know, I need to capture this. And I'm not a photographer at all. But I grabbed my little iPhone and I ran back and I propped it up on a rock here and I set the timer and then I raced back into place and, man, I captured this picture. And again, it was so significant to me and then Jenny eventually put the verse on top of it. But can I tell you one other little interesting thing? It was later on that day in Israel that I had a moment and thought of, hey, where did Second Chronicles 2017 take place? And I started studying that passage on the bus and I can't tell you that that battle took place in that valley right there where I am, but you know what was just so cool? As I studied it more and more, what I found out is that in all of Israel, we are right there in the neighborhood of where these promises and ultimately this victorious battle that God fought on behalf of his people took place. You see why I'll have this picture for the rest of my life? It's a great reminder to me that if we stand firm in the Lord, if we trust him, if we'll prepare our hearts and minds with his word, as we pray and as we reach out to him, as we hold on to each other together as one family, that our God will fight for us. And in him, no matter what we face, we will find and encounter victory through Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen? Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your promises. Uh, we thank you, Father, that you are a God that fights on our behalf. And even this promise from Second Chronicles 2017 that we don't have to fight, that you will fight for us if we stand firm with faith in you. And Father, you know every person here today and you know every story and every situation and every battle and every temptation and every difficulty that is, well, that is here and present in this room today. God, would you encourage our minds and our hearts right now in this place and draw us to you, Lord. Give us faith in you. We cling to you, God. Would you encourage us today to stand firm in you, our hope in you, for victory, victory over the evil one. All of our faith and all of our hope is in you. We thank you for your son, Jesus, our Savior, and it's in his name we pray. Amen. Let's stand together.
We're going to close with a song that we sang just a moment ago. And we're going to let this be a declaration of our victory in God for who he is and what he can do in and through us right now. Let's sing as we close together.
just remember as you leave today and you go out into the workplace, into your neighborhoods this week, just to be aware that God is with us everywhere that we go, that he's the authority by which we stand, and just ask him to give you eyes to see what you can be praying into and have him advocate on your behalf as you go and as you spread the love of Jesus to all of those you're around. So be, be safe. See you guys next week.